I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts in the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. Things are heating up around here on many fronts, so I've decided to take the summer off. I'll meet you back here to kick off our high holy season, but in the meantime, stay tuned after the story for a summer reading, listening, and watching list. I'll be sure to make recommendations on Instagram as I come across Cozy Spook, too. And if you haven't checked out the Ghosts and the Bourbonites group on Facebook, please do. There is a really fun, creative group of like-minded spooky individuals over there, and they have the best recommendations, spooky memes, and everything else you can imagine. Member Allegro Brie Moreno even created the Ghosts and the Burbs cast of characters in The Sims. It's glorious. I'm not over there nearly enough. Facebook and I have been on bad terms since 2016, mostly because, as one reviewer put it, I've become a radicalized weirdo. Hmm, guilty, but the Ghosts in the Bourbonite space is a wonderful place for cozy spook. Check it out. Now, we have a story to enjoy. Things have gotten quite intense, haven't they? All this the end is nigh stuff has me wishing for the good old days when we were worried about black-eyed kids and Bloody Mary. So. Let's take a cleansing breath. Let's shove the terrifying idea that we are in grave danger deep, deep down where we hide all of our darkest fears. And let's talk about fairies. We're on to ghost story, magical number 66. A promise that will surely come back to bite me in the ass. Jamie Walsh is a friend of an acquaintance of mine. A woman who I know through the PTO, hold on, have I told you that I'm the communications chair for our elementary school PTO? It's the God's honest truth, and not to toot my own horn, but several people have told me just how perfect my meme and gift selection are for each little section of the weekly newsletter. I mean, here's the thing, I like to volunteer, but I don't want to be in charge of anything. I like to be a worker bee, so this has worked out to be a nice little position. I learned over the years that while it is important to contribute to my community, it is equally important not to contribute in ways that make me want to pull my hair out. After trial and error, I now know that I don't want to herd cats, I don't want to find myself besieged with requests, opinions, or complaints, and I do not want to be a decision maker. But I can write, I like organizing, and so I don't mind giving my time to that little newsletter. This has absolutely nothing to do with our story. It's just this like piece of advice slash information I wish I'd received long ago. Volunteer work, wherever or however you do it, is not meant to be felt as a penance or burden. Someone else will be happy to serve in the baby toddler room for an hour or two. Couldn't be me. While you might feel more comfortable working on the organization's website for a couple hours once a year from the comfort of your own home, that might be me. There aren't bonus points or some sort of ranking system. Service is service. Which, like, brings us all the way around back to Jamie Walsh, the friend of Candy, the acquaintance I know through the PTO. Jamie is in charge of a job you couldn't pay me to do. She's one of several parent liaisons for the Wellesley Public School System. Let that sink in. When Wellesley parents have a serious bone to pick with any of the 10 schools here in town, She's one of the people those parents contact to facilitate effective communication between the district and the family. 
So Candy asked if I might meet with her friend who had been dealing with a situation involving her five-year-old daughter. I really, really didn't want to say yes. This was shortly after that spooky meeting with Lillian, and right after a weekend filled with the school auction, a 40th birthday party, and a little get-together at our house. I'd basically used up a year's worth of socializing in one weekend. All I wanted to do was hibernate with a new Richard Osmond mystery. But Candy was persistent, if a little vague, about the reason her friend wanted to talk to me. I gave in and agreed to text Jamie and set up a time to get together. To my chagrin, she texted back damn near immediately and asked if I could meet her the next morning at her house. Now, you know that I know I shouldn't be going to a stranger's houses, especially strangers with something worrisomely spooky happening in their house, and especially when I have no idea what that spooky thing is. But again, I was fried. I chose the path of least resistance. She named the time, 9 o'clock, and place, her house, the property bordering dense woods, and rather close to a big body of water here in town. She asked that I be vague about her location. I can't really offer any details about her house, other than it is new construction. The work completed in November of 2019, right before everything went to hell. The house is pretty and large. The front yard rather bare bones, but the backyard is a marvel of meticulous and layered landscaping. Our predecessors created a darling walking path that meanders just about a quarter mile into the woods, then circles back to the yard. It's beautiful this time of year with the flowering trees, but you should see it in autumn. That's when we saw the property for the first time. It was a major reason we chose the house, Jamie explained. We were in her sunroom, a screen porch off the kitchen, the room brought to you by Serena and Lily. Their Pacifica collection, to be exact. I looked it up just to see how out of reach it was. It was very out of reach. Ensconced and too handsome, Really, it's the only word for them. Lounge chairs, driftwood wicker with French blue pinstripe cushions. With our backs to the house, we sat at a slight angle to one another, separated by the Blythedale side table in coastal blue. The view was as peaceful as it gets. A soft breeze moved through the trees, carrying the scent of lilac bushes through the screens. It's pretty, isn't it? Jamie commented. Mesmerizing, I replied. The woods were stunning, gorgeous, like something out of a glossy gardening magazine. But, mm, I don't know, there was something about them. The best way to describe the vibe they gave off or whatever is that I was happy to be behind the screen. I didn't want to be any closer to them than I had to be. You must spend all your time out here, I offered politely, sipping an incredibly strong cup of coffee, wishing I'd added an extra scoop of sweetener. We do, mostly to keep an eye on Quinn. I can't keep her indoors. I watched the little girl swinging on the wooden play structure set at the edge of the yard. She had her back to us, swinging so she could face the forest beyond. That's awesome. I have to force my kids outside. Right, Jamie smiled sadly. I almost wish she were glued to a screen of some kind, if I could just get her interested in something other than those woods. She's so isolated. She won't interact with other children. She... Jamie cut herself off and took a deep breath. I'm sorry. We are at the crux of it. This is why I was so eager to speak with you. 
I know you aren't able to access your gifts right now, but from reading your blog, it seems that you have a lot of knowledge in this area and contacts you might be able to put us in touch with. I was struggling to listen because as she spoke, the ringing in my ears grew to an all-time high. I decided to tell her so she wouldn't think I was being rude or not paying attention. That's true. Um, For some reason, recently, I lost the ability to hear and see the other side, but the level of ringing in my ears right now is definitely getting a message across. Somebody's trying to tell me something. Wow. Okay. That must be so frustrating. Knowing they're right here, but you can't hear them. I mean, it is, I agreed. When things first went quiet, it was kind of a relief. I felt like I had my life back, but you know how it is. Things never go back to the way they used to be. Everything gets altered. This ear ringing is a new thing. I can tell someone is screaming at me from the other side, but I can't do anything about it. I can't help. I can't ignore it. I'm just like struck dumb most of the time. It was interesting. Jamie had such a calm aura that I found myself sharing more than I probably would have with a stranger. Isn't that so true, she reflected. Things never do go back to normal. They might become more palatable or familiar, but it's a constant battle to adapt. Adapting to Quinn's situation has absolutely been a struggle for us. If I could go back, I'm not sure that I would have the foresight to do anything differently. Would I have discouraged her from spending time outdoors instead of in front of a screen? Of course not, but perhaps I could have been a little more attentive. I should have noticed the change sooner. Change? Mm, She isn't the same child she was four months ago. It wasn't an abrupt transformation. It's more as though she's gone through an evolution. I think she'll be like you or the way you are when you can interact with spirits. She's been interacting with something in those woods, and I honestly can't say that it's been a bad thing for her. It's just, I don't want to be one of those people who loses their minds when they don't understand something or is pig-headed about taking on new information. I just want some sort of reassurance that what's happening to her is safe. I studied the little girl outside. She'd stopped swinging and was staring out into the woods, her body now perfectly still, her little legs dangling motionlessly beneath her. What is happening to her? I asked, feeling something I couldn't put my finger on. It wasn't fear or dread, nothing that strong. It just felt like something wasn't right. Did Candy tell you anything? No, she just said you wanted to discuss something in my wheelhouse. Candy and her business jargon, Jamie chuckled. But that is accurate. What is happening here is spooky and strange, and that certainly falls within your wheelhouse. Quinn befriended fairies in our woods. Oh, dear, I said, without thinking. Jamie made a small noise in agreement. We are deeply concerned. I can't, like, hand a list over to her pediatrician telling her why I'm so concerned. Quinn is healthy and happy. In fact, she's downright serene, but she's not the same. She's too... Still, for a child her age, she's become too perceptive, wise beyond her years. Jamie stared out at her daughter for a long moment. Do you see what I mean? What parent would ever complain about that? How did this happen? I asked, then realized that might sound judgy. I mean, how did it begin? We moved here in January. We were over in the Bates neighborhood before that, and it was a fluke that we even came to look at this house. 
We've been in Wellesley for four years, and we've done a lot of work to our house, renovations so that we could stay there for a long time, but my husband subscribes to the Zillow listings for our area. He barely checks them, really, but for some reason, this house caught his eye. I thought he was crazy when he told me he planned to attend the open house. Quinn is our only child. This is a five-bedroom home. It is far too much room for us. But despite how impractical it was, he loved it. He came straight home from the open house and brought us both back to see it. I fell in love with it, too. How couldn't I? It's quintessential Wellesley. It's everything you picture when you hear someone say, I live over in, text in brackets, name of neighborhood omitted, and brackets. You think, oh, they're next level even for this place. Jamie's honesty, her unflinching acknowledgement of her situation was really quite refreshing. I couldn't get the house out of my mind, she continued. I can't fault us for not noticing how drawn Quinn was to the woods while we were touring the home. How couldn't she be? They're simply enchanting. Our last house was surrounded by other homes. Our yard was tiny. But I did have a feeling. There was something I just could not nail down about those woods. Cormac didn't share my concerns. He grew up in the sticks. Jamie laughed. He was delighted that Quinn could have a safe place to gain a little independence and explore. So we let her. We bundled her up and let her walk that circuitous path all by herself. I shouldn't have allowed it. That was our first mistake. Five-year-olds should not be traipsing through the woods alone. It's not the 1980s. Not that we should have been doing it then either, but we know better now. There's just... There's something about those woods. This land. It lulls you. I knew just what she was talking about. She'd put it perfectly. I felt lulled. But it was a superficial calm. That same kind of calm I get when I'm really amped up about something and I take a prescription pill to take the worst of the edge off so that I can parent and not act like the absolute nerve end that I am. The kind of calm that I know isn't real or lasting. It isn't hard won. It's just a respite. The monsters are still lurking. I've just managed to throw up a smoke screen momentarily. That was the calm I felt on Jamie's property. A dulling of the senses. A surface tranquility. Beneath which... I absolutely sensed peril. Selfishly, I welcomed the time Quinn spent in the woods at first. It gave me time to focus on unpacking and arranging the house, but there were blips of concern pretty early on. She began speaking of her nice little ladies, Aoife, Roisin, and Aaron. Jamie's eyes slid away from the view only momentarily and met mine. She offered a little sideways smile. The names were cute a little on the nose. They might as well have been called Kelly O'Donnell and Flanagan. I laughed. How Irish are you guys? Very. Cormac's parents are first generation. My mother is second. My dad's family was British, so yeah, I suppose Quinn had a target on her back for the wee folk, but what in the hell are they doing here? Nothing surprises me anymore, I replied. Things are getting really stirred up. I don't know why, but earth spirits right now, they're really, really active. Jamie nibbled on a hangnail. Well, that's unsettling. But at the same time, it's reassuring that we aren't the only ones dealing with something like this. You're definitely not alone, I said, seeing nothing reassuring about it. What else has Quinn told you about her little ladies? She just adores them. They give her little gifts so she can bring the outdoors in. Uh-uh, I muttered. Okay, right, well, 
I honestly thought they were imaginary friends at first. Jamie shut her eyes abruptly and then rubbed them with the heels of her hands. That's not truthful. I knew something was wrong, but I told myself they were imaginary friends. Our last neighborhood was teeming with children. Here we're a little isolated. I convinced myself that it was only natural for an only child to use her imagination to create playmates. But the things she brought home, these little intricately woven crowns made of sticks and collections of stones shaped like hearts, it just, it was obvious from the beginning that she wasn't making or collecting these things by herself. And then I began finding the windows in her bedroom open. It was far too cold outside for it to be safe, but she just wasn't affected by the chill at all. I'd be shivering by the time I was halfway across her room in the morning, but she was perfectly comfortable. Then she began to talk about she-she. She-she is so beautiful. She-she is so kind. She-she says that I'm special. It was that last one, she-she says I'm special, that finally rang the stranger danger bell. I tried to keep her inside after that, or get her to let me accompany her on those walks, but she grew utterly sullen, mopey, detached. I went out on that walk alone to see if I might see any, I don't know, signs of something. I didn't, but I felt eyes on me the entire time I was in those woods. It wasn't frightening, but it should have been. Do you know what I mean? The effect this place has on you. It can feel lovely, but it dulls your senses, your judgment. That's why I make the coffee so strong. I could nod off if I let myself. And the times when I realize I've been zoning out, it's just too often. It's like nothing matters. How could you worry about anything, really? Life here is pleasant. It becomes hard to scrounge up concern for anything if you're here for too long. We sat in silence for a time, watching Quinn. She was at the edge of the trees now, running her hands across the tops of deep green ferns. You said you think that she'll have abilities like mine, I said finally. Why do you think that? Has she mentioned seeing ghosts or anything other than those forest entities? Just the fairies. Jamie's voice was low and lazy. But she knows things. Cormac's brother, he struggled for years. We thought he'd had it kicked, but a couple weeks ago, Quinn told us he shouldn't be allowed to drive his car, and a day or two later, he was in the hospital. He probably won't ever be the same. Ugh, I'm so sorry, I offered. Has she predicted anything else? Yeah, Jamie said simply. Would you feel comfortable letting me talk to her? Without hesitation, Jamie called Quinn into the sunroom and introduced us. Nice to meet you, she said sweetly. I was just telling Mrs. Sauer about your friends, her mom explained. She can sometimes see things that other people can't, just like you. The little girl's huge, unblinking eyes studied me for a too long moment. You're blurry, she said finally. What do you mean, honey? Her mom asked gently. It's fuzzy around her, she said, taking her eyes off me only briefly. Then to me she said, do you want to be blurry? I don't know, I replied honestly. She misses you. Who? The big girl. She looks like McKenna. McKenna is her cousin. She's 15, Jamie explained. Quinn tilted her head. You don't want to talk to her anymore? I forced a smile as I wiped my eyes. I do want to talk to her, but I can't. 
there's something between us. Quinn nodded. She looked at the space beside me and smiled, then turned completely around and stared out at the woods. Her mom and I exchanged a glance. Finally, Quinn said, Thanks, Shishi, and came back to us. I can help you, Quinn said, her tiny face very serious. I can make that fuzzy stuff go away. You can? She nodded emphatically. But she, she needs something. I felt goosebumps crawl across my body. What does she need? A promise, Quinn said. You have to promise to listen when she has something to say. That's it. Just listen? Yep, just listen. She said things are going to get really loud and lots of things will want your attention, but you have to listen to her, even when it's noisy. Okay, I can do that, I said, knowing in my bones that it was a terrible idea to make a deal with a fairy. Fun, Quinn said happily. She reached for my left hand and held it flat between her two tiny hands. Oh, wow, you have little friends at your house. They love the shells and houses your kids put out. Her eyes had become unfocused. She gazed off into the middle distance and spoke in a quiet, dreamy voice. Thank you for the wildflower seeds. Plant more, more and more and more. Never enough. Oh, your dogs are silly. The little white one. He digs. That's okay, but you have to make sure he doesn't bother the bunnies. She closed her eyes, her little eyebrows scrunched together. Holly bushes will help. Quinn's voice became sing-song. Lots of holly, lots of holly, keeps the Kate away. She giggled, then fell silent. Her face relaxed, but her little hands pressed into my hand like a vice. The ringing began in my ears, very low at first, then progressively louder until I thought I wouldn't be able to stand it. I fought not to pull my hand away from her. I had to take deep breaths to try to calm myself, but the noise was utterly consuming. And then it stopped. I opened my eyes and saw Quinn smiling at me. She let go of my hands and her mouth moved, but... No noise came out. Panic rose within me immediately. I'm deaf, I thought. It's okay, Quinn mouthed. It's okay. I put my hands to my ears. I can't hear anything, I think I said, but I wasn't sure because well, I couldn't hear. The concerned look on Jamie's face didn't make me feel any less panicked. I was about to have a full-blown panic attack when there was a loud, like I mean loud, whoosh, like a tornado in a tunnel, and then... I could hear. Can you hear me? Can you hear? Yes, I said, laughing as tears streamed down my cheeks. Oh, thank God, Claire exclaimed. There was a flurry of excited voices. Shut up, shut up, Claire's voice broke through. Don't overwhelm her. Can you see us? I shook my head. No, I can only hear you. Good enough, Claire said, her voice filled with relief. I'm sorry, I just... Oh my God, I haven't been able to hear them for so long, I explained to Jamie. Quinn, you are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome, she said happily. Don't forget Shishi. She doesn't like it if you don't keep a promise. She turned to her mom. Can I go back outside now? Sure, Jamie said, but stay where I can see you. Okay, bye. Thank you, Quinn, I said again, but she was already through the screen door. Is Quinn safe? I asked Claire. 
Her mom shouldn't let her out of her sight in the backyard. They might take her and keep her for their own. They don't mean harm, but they can sure as hell cause it. You have to keep her out of the backyard, I started. She'll be so upset, Jamie cut in. Listen, the fairies don't want to hurt her, but they might do it without meaning to. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Jamie breathed. How can I keep her safe? I listened and then relayed Claire's advice, censoring the most terrifying bits. It would be best if you could move to an urban area. The Fae hate cities, but if you can't do that, then you need to install an iron fence around your property, all the way around the perimeter, a gate across the driveway and everything. Its height should be a multiple of three, like six feet, nine feet, twelve. Twelve would be best. That would look ridiculous, Jamie protested. I'd managed to cut through her calm exterior. Perhaps it was the fear that sliced through that dulling effect. We can't move to the city. We can't. Oh my God, an iron fence? That'll be exorbitant. I'm sorry, I said, meaning it. Claire kept going. Okay, so you should plant St. John's wort in front of all the windows and to the left and right of the doors. Hang horseshoes over the entrances, too. They, they can't cross running water, so... I don't know how you would manage that, but... Oh, okay. Rig up a hose to spray water across the driveway when you're leaving your gate. Hold on. That's unsustainable, I protested. They want that little girl, Claire replied simply. Is this real? Jamie said in a small voice. Quinn really is in danger. I nodded. Why her? There are kids all over this town, she spat. I'm sorry. That was awful of me to say, but why her? It's just the beginning for her. She's really gifted, Claire explained. She's actually one of the new generation who chose to come to Earth during the transition to help people through what's coming. She's gifted, I said, modifying Claire's words. You're right. She will be able to do what I do. Talk to ghosts, I mean, but even more than that. God damn it, Jamie said in a quiet voice. We never should have come here. Are you all right? I asked, ten minutes later as I beelined for my car. Yes, but say thank you. What? Turn around and say thank you, Claire insisted. And bow. You should probably bow. Oh, okay. I did so awkwardly, then climbed into my car and drove down the street a ways before pulling over. I was in no state to talk and drive. I think that was okay. I mean, it should be. What do you mean? I said trying to acclimate to hearing Claire's voice again without being able to see her. The Banshee. Oh, fuck, what the hell is a Banshee doing in Wellesley? Everything is everywhere right now. The boundaries are almost non-existent. So I just made a promise to a Banshee. That sounds really bad. Maybe, but yeah, probably. She's a harbinger, like that old hag you saw a while back and that demon you just spoke to. Maybe she just wants the credit when everything is finally revealed. Do I even want to know what you mean by that? Claire was silent. Are you still here? I demanded, afraid that my hearing might have gone again. Yeah, sorry, I just have so much to tell you, Claire said, and I could tell she was exasperated, impatient, scared. Go to a nursery. I'll tell you on the way. I put the car in gear. Holly bushes, I guessed. Holly bushes, Claire confirmed. Kate Dilvish might be the least of your worries, but she's a problem all the same.
I've made a commitment to keep our space ad-free, but if you are interested in doing something priceless to help the show, please tell a spooky friend about it, rate and review it wherever you listen, and follow me at Ghosts and the Burbs on Instagram and TikTok. Those things are incredibly valuable. The choice to keep this podcast independent is very intentional. Your interaction with it helps other people to find this spooky little nook. And when other people find it, it truly helps my writing career. And for that, I'm so incredibly grateful to you. And as always, while you're helping me, please, please do the same for all the podcasts and every bit of content you enjoy, wherever you enjoy it. Now, I donate 100% of Ghosts in the Burbs merch proceeds to various charities. So far this month, you all have raised over $250 for the Planned Parent Action Fund. Thank you. I will keep you up to date on Instagram um, about all those numbers every month. Head over to Ghosts in the Burbs for all the links. I am about to put up a new t-shirt and mug, actually. Now, I wish you all a terrifying summer. Take care of you. Speak up about the things that are important to you. And since we won't be in touch for a few months, here's your summer homework. Read The Deep by Nick Cutter, The Fear Street Super Chiller Party Summer by R.L. Stein, and Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. I've mentioned this before, but it's worth saying again. I probably read that book like 15 times. Never gets old. Uh, the Chill of Fear by Kay Hooper, Meg Primal Waters by Steve Alton, and Rats by James Herbert. Now, listen to Books in the Freezer podcast for all the horror book recommendations. That is where I get most of mine, so you cannot go wrong. And finally, here's your summer watch list. I think probably if you can cram these all into June and July, you'll just have the best vibes. Arachnophobia, The Lost Boys, The Cabin in the Woods, The Burbs, Jaws, Lake Placid, Tremors, and The Blair Witch Project. That's your non-gore list. I mean, Cabin in the Woods is gory, but you don't really take it personally. Anyhow, those summerish movies are where I feel most cozy. But if you can handle it, add Cabin Fever. I still get an ick twinge when I think of this movie, and I watched it like 20 years ago. Uh, then The Ruins and The Descent. Okay, I'll see you in our high holy season. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.